Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello and welcome to Gem State, the trials of Chad and Lori Daybell. I'm your host, Sarah Jacobson, and I'm joined by, once again, Gem State producer, Ryan Oswald. Hey, Ryan, how's it going? Hey, Sarah. This this was another week just packed to the brim with witness testimony. The prosecution seems to be flying through witnesses. Pace of, I think we we clocked it at about eight a day in some cases. Uh, So they are really moving. There's a lot to cover um just between how much evidence and then the the different witness testimony we saw this week yeah let's dive right in let's do it so on monday nicole heidman with the fbi she testified in front of the court now heidman was the one who helped investigate all of those electronic devices and communications for chad Lorre and then also alex cox right the uh heidman uh, testified that they discovered nine different phone numbers that were associated with chad daybell um, three of which were of interest to them. Mm-hmm. Six different phone numbers that were attributed to Lori, three of which they found interest in. And then the same for Alex Cox. Six phone numbers, three were of interest. I don't know about you. How many phones do you have, Sarah? <laughs> Two, but um, one of them obviously work. But yeah, no, nobody uh, has nine phones and, you know, something good's happening. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. This was this was an interesting thing because uh, they were they were also able with those phones, because part of what they were doing, part of what Heidman and and her team at uh, the FBI were doing Mm -hmm. was they were also researching what they did with those phones. So who did they call? Who did they text? when they can where were they again every single movement so that even has location along with it which is a really big part of some of this evidence that we found out this week absolutely she uh she and her team were able to contact google and they had a geofence set up we had to kind of do some research to find exactly what what she meant (laughs) essentially what this is is you can drop a pin on the location in this case chad daybell's property Mm -hmm. And then they draw a digital fence around it, 250 meters around any electronic device that comes or goes within that geofence gets tagged and logged. What they were able to do is then narrow down who was on the property, when they were on the property and where exactly they were. That led investigators to kind of an interesting discovery. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. And just as an aside, how cool is that that they're able to be able to do that? It's it's really cool. It's it's kind of mind boggling that 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 technology, it's just a phone call to Google Mm -hmm. to say, hey, let's let's get this thing set up. It's also a little scary, I think, just from that they are able to do that. Yeah. You know, but I think. I think the conversation about privacy is probably best saved for our next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll save that for another one. But um, but yeah, no, not only did they have that, um, the, you know, those those pings, but one of the big pings that they got in this, again, geofence is that Alex Cox pinged on Chad's property. It was at 11 a.m. on September 19th. Now, this is the day before Tylee went missing. Right. He also showed up a few times on that property mm-hmm. in that that geofence the other one and kind of the big revelation was that they found him or they marked him at least with his his digital devices at the tree in the location next to the pond where jj vallow's remains were 
were buried. Exactly. So this is locationally for those listening. So they can exactly pinpoint where people are stepping within the property, whether they're near the barn, in the house, or right. like you said, where, where the remains were found. Right. That was that was kind of a big one. Um but I think I think really the big one at the beginning of the week, we had several, for lack of a better term, kind of big witnesses. Mm-hmm. And what it, and what I mean by that is just either they brought you know, a kind of startling revelation or a new revelation to the trial or someone super impactful. In this case, uh, more impactful was Summer uh, Shiflet. Oh, yeah. Lori's sister. Lori's sister. Uh, Summer um, testified that she was first made aware that the kids were missing in December. And again, so... Tylee went missing September 18th. So this is December, a few months later. Right. Um, at this point, that's when media coverage is starting to to pay attention, right? Um, they've already, they were married in Hawaii already at this point. And so now she's hearing all this stuff secondhand. She testified that she didn't even know where her sister was. I don't think she was even aware, at least based off of the testimony, I don't think she was even aware that she was living in Rexburg at the time. Yeah, from what we're seeing, she had no idea where Lori's whereabouts were, let alone the kids. Right. So she's now starting to get wind. Hey, the kids are the kids are missing. What's going on? She's having a hard time getting a hold of Lori, even finding out what's going on. Mm-hmm. Sounds like they, I don't want to say they were estranged, but it sounds like they just, really kind of fell out of out of contact for, with each other. So now she's madly trying to get a hold of of Lori mm-hmm. to say, "Hey, where where are the kids?" Uh, yeah. That was that was a pretty tough one. Um we do have the phone call. Yeah, and we're definitely going to want to listen into that. Just a little bit of um discretion because it does hurt your heart to hear. Yeah, absolutely. We do want to give our listeners just a heads up. So we so because of the way Judge Boyce ruled, we're not allowed to have cameras or recording equipment in the courtroom. Nothing. And so we, what the court provides us at the end of every day, we get a full recording of the day at, at court. Just the audio. Just the audio. We don't, we don't get video or anything. But the audio... We're at their mercy for what equipment they use, where they put it, how how all of that sounds. Mm-hmm. And so some of the some of the sound is just it's not great quality for some reason. They it sometimes seem to put the recorder next to like a rock polisher <laughs> or or in like Yeah. So apologies on behalf. Yeah. Of the so County we we try and we try and clean that up as best as we can. We know that the the quality is not always the best but we do play it because we think it's it's very important a that you're able to to hear uh in the witness's own words exactly what it is we're talking about verbatim yeah and then b just because we we really believe both sarah and i believe and then also cbs too we believe in transparency and we really want to make sure that we're showing you this is what they said and and this is kind of in their own words so let's let's now play the call from uh between summer and Lori. yeah let's take a listen
what's on TV, what everybody said, and all this stuff. So all you pull it around. Okay, so now I I think she kind of, I, I, I think she sums it up how anyone in that family is feeling or has been feeling since really since 2020, mm-hmm. which was that we love those kids. We would have taken them. Why? Why did this happen? Why did it end up this way? All of it. Yeah. No, all of it. The revelations that you're hearing in real time. I mean, right. It, it it just hurts your heart, it, especially for especially for for the kids. Of course, when and then for the family members that are left behind, we're going to talk coming up about uh, other family members that were in court this week as well. But I I think it just every time you hear in their own words, you hear them say, "We would have taken the kids." Why, you know, why would you? Why did this happen? Why did why did this have to be 
what your your decision why why is this the way you you chose to to handle this and one of the interesting things about this call again we've we've heard this before from Lori in her phone call with her son Colby but saying that she she knows what happened that she and God are the only people that knows what happened with with Tylee and JJ right it we we kind of addressed it in last week's podcast again I think it inadvertently it it inadvertently tells her tells the other person i do know what happened well now we all know what happened the kids are dead and so for her to be telling summer and then last week colby in the phone call you weren't there you don't know what happened the you know the kids still love me you know whatever these platitudes i guess are they also imply that she does know. Yeah, it's admittance that she knows what happened. Right. Because how otherwise, how could you say you weren't there, you don't know what happened, unless the opposite means I was there, I do know what happened, right? Yeah, again, another, it just sometimes boggles the mind. Yeah, to to say the least. All right. Well, let's move on because there yeah. are some text messages, too, that we want to get to. So Nick Balance, he works with um, Nicole Heidman, who we talked about earlier at the FBI. Now, he testified that text messages and phone calls between Chad and Lori, they were discovered around October 22nd. Now, this was around the same time of the bur- burial service for Tammy Daybell. Right. There was text messages going on between Chad and Lori. It seems like it could have been even... Uh, kind of during or right around uh, the burial service, which I think is uh, it, that's that's despicable. That's really dark. That you know, because Chad has seem seemingly he's tried to maintain that nothing untoward had mm-hmm. happened between him and Lori. That his wife died. He found comfort in the arms of. This, you know, this new woman, that's clearly not the case. Exactly. It, it tears apart the narrative it, that he was creating. It uh, every Everything we do, and I think the prosecution has been doing a good job of this, they're tearing apart brick by brick each, each level of defense that Chad and Lori and their defense team um have have tried to put up kind of all all along the way you know during the investigation and then subsequent after their arrest mm-hmm. laying out everything for us so also balance one of the things that he testified with is that he showed everybody a map of the data points from Alex Cox's phone again this is from Google I believe um but it it also shows that Alex Cox's phone placed him near JJ Vallow's where JJ Vallow's remains were found right during this time they they continue to show the power um of their technology their ability to you know really pinpoint where you know where you are what what your movements are data doesn't lie no no it doesn't and it seems like forgive me this is my opinion it seems like Chad and Lori and Alex were were kind of going off of what they've seen in in movies or on TV shows, thinking that burner phones or mm-hmm. whatever would be they can't trace me. They'll never they'll never find us. They'll they won't be able to know what we're talking about. Lori, one of those phones was solely used to communicate with Chad and and Alex it wasn't even her primary phone. Well, that only works if you get rid of the phone. They found you. Know, I think we were talking about this. They found, what was it? A couple of the burners. Yeah. In, in the backseat of one of Lori's vehicles. Right. I think it was, I think it was in the backseat. Don't quote us on that part. Um, it was, it was in the backseat of her car or in the backseat of Chad's car. I can't remember. One or the other. Um, but yeah, so they find, they find just a stash of, of the burner phones the the whole point of them being burner phones is that you have to burn them at some point right you have to yeah. throw it away get rid of it so i yeah i think it it just again it just kind of appears that they're they're making this up as they go along yeah this isn't done by a criminal mastermind no 
no, it's it's really not. Unfortunately, a lot of the actions that they took really hindered the investigation, really slowed things down, mm-hmm. but they in no in no way stopped obviously uh the the investigation or or finding the you know, obviously finding JJ and Tylee and yeah, they're they're able to piece it together. But also, um, one of the things, too, along with Angela Kerndall, who we have inside the courtroom each and every day of this trial, we also have our chief photographer, Clint Richards, who's outside the courthouse throughout the trial. And he actually spoke with another family member, um, this time of Lori, Lori's uncle, Rex Connor. Now, um, Rex attended about three days of the trial this week with three of his daughters. Right. They they said they wanted they wanted to come attend. Uh, they are family, right? Rex mm-hmm. is is Lori's uncle, as you said. They're, I, I think, as all, all you know, all of the family members, you know, extended family, even, are really trying to process, kind of in the same way that we are as a community, that we are, you know, yes, just as, on as, a much more personal level too, because of course it's your family, um, right. and and with it being southeastern Idaho, tight knit community, absolutely, and so I think there's. Um, I, I think he, he really, um, he, Rex does a good job. We're going to play the interview with Clint here. Um, I think he does a good job of kind of summing up. They're there for trying to get some sort of answers. They're, they're, they're kind of searching. Um, but I think sometimes, you know, and, and especially in their case, you know, you might get more than you bargained for. And, and I think that was kind of, kind of their case. Uh, let's, let's listen in. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seats, the best spot in the house, make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Um, this morning was really hard. This afternoon, not, not as bad. After got a little time to recover, but that was that was the roughest. Of, I've been here three days. That was the roughest of the three. We wanted to be here for that, and then found out we didn't really want to be here for that. So now you're you're going back now. Um, going back home. Would you come back? Um, we, you know, we may come back next week. We're real interested in hearing the testimony of my great niece, uh, Melanie Pulowski. So we may come back for that. What do you hope to hear when she I just want to hear the truth. Like we want to hear every single day and get every piece of information we can to try to make some sense out of this incredible tragedy. And by incredible, I mean unbelievable. Can you capsulize the testimony and what you've heard? Yeah, let me try. Let me try today's. I've, I've just barely keeping it together after today so i'll give it a try but if i stop suddenly and run away either my uber's here or i can't handle it anymore um but they told us the cause of death of jj and then tyley so that was really rough because i and my wife my wife isn't here with me but we've intentionally avoided that that's just something we didn't want there's too much to process anyway we can't make sense out of all of it that was just too much but today we heard them and um, they could they could name the cause of death for jj which he was um they put a plastic bag over his head and strangled him we had hoped you know in our fantasy without listening i know the details are out there so people that are watching may already know this but i didn't know it 
and we had hoped that maybe he was poisoned, died, and then they did what they did with the, with the body. That wasn't the case. That was that was terrible for us to hear. And then Tylee, we were hoping to hear something, how she died before her body was dismembered, which is bad enough. And, it, and the medical examiner, examiner said it was inconclusive. He couldn't tell how she died. So there will never be that answer unless someone comes out and confesses, which hasn't been the situation yet. So both of those factors are just hard to hard, hard for us to deal with. We wish we had more, but doesn't everybody? Is it, isn't that what we all want? All of your listeners, all of your viewers want to hear what happened, what's the truth? How do you make sense of a tragedy that's of an evil that's beyond comprehension? We just can't. But the more information we can get, the better. We just won't get it all, unfortunately. Are you going to be okay not having closure? I don't think anyone's going to be okay. I mean, not only me, but I'm no different than anyone else. There are millions of people now, I'm sure, if not at least hundreds of thousands, at least 20 or 30. I mean, there are, I'm sure it's millions of people now that need the same thing we need as family. Everyone, everyone that's heard this story has been touched by it. And we all want closure. We all want comfort somehow. We all want, want to make sense of, like I said, this something that's so far beyond evil that it's, you just can't comprehend it. So what Rex was describing as he left court that day, of course, a rough day to be in the courtroom. Um, Dr. Warren with the Ada County Coroner's Office, who helped perform JJ's autopsy, he was the one who was testifying that day on what was found. Um, it was followed by a forensic pathologist from the FBI who then assisted with Ty Lee's autopsy. And yeah, those details were pretty grim. Um, what follows, of course, is going to be a little difficult to hear. So we want to say some listener discretion advised. Again, um, this case, we're laying out we're laying out this entire case for you and we want in full transparency. So again, if you have to turn off, if it's a little too much for you, that's completely okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think both of us many times, even throughout this week, but throughout the trial have wanted to turn it off. So uh, we, we completely understand. Um, Yeah. Dr. Dr. Warren testified about the discovery and removal of JJ's remains and then how they were transferred to him for the autopsy. Uh, This was kind of the first big shocking piece of testimony um, provided by Dr. Warren was that he um, he states that he believes he knows the cause of death for JJ as asphyxiation. Dr. Warren testified uh, that after performing the autopsy, it was apparent that there was no other cause of death. Right. All of the organs, everything else were in good, good working order. There's no blunt force trauma that could have. Again, and this and it. this is through extensive testing as well. They're they're right. swabbing under fingernails. They're testing lungs. They're testing heart. They're testing brain. This Everything. is a this is a long process of going through every single system within the body, and then also externally. Right. Absolutely. And then, um, yeah, he he ruled everything else else out and says that it was apparent there was no other cause of death. The plastic bag, which was wrapped around JJ's head and then secured by duct tape, um all the way down his face down to um, below his face combined with the evidence of, and I think this was kind of the second big piece of, of startling information that we got uh, was evidence of a, a struggle. Yeah. Uh, the- yeah. I, that, that one, it's just, it's tough to, it's tough to talk about. It's even tougher it to comprehend the level of just brutality that you have to um, that you have to have the lack of any sort of just human emotion, human kindness, dignity. Mm-hmm. Um, it it's it's gruesome and it it really hurt. I think that I think that was a that was a tough one. Again, yeah, no, it it, it makes your soul sick. Yeah. Just thinking about, of course, how someone could do that to someone, but of but of course that that gruesome revelation followed by a description of how then Ty Lee's remains were delivered for the autopsy. So, while JJ's remains were completely intact in a body bag, 
Ty Lee's remains were sent over in several or three bags, essentially. Um, right. Now, and they said that Ty Lee's remains had been so badly burned that the cause of her death can't be determined. I think, um, I think this is, I think there's a really startling disparity between uh, how JJ's remains were handled and how Ty Lee's remains were handled. Um, and, and it, it's kind of where we let's separate out for just a moment. And I know it's really hard. Let's separate out the fact that both of these kids, children, their children, both children were murdered. Let's separate out that just for a moment to say now, what, how do we handle their remains? Now, JJ was buried under a tree near a pond with his blankie, his blanket, Ty Lee's remains were essentially what burned and and attempted to be, I don't know, chopped apart is from the sounds yeah, of it from um, dismembering, yeah, dismemberment. Um, no, it's it's night and day, and then also obviously the pet cemetery. Right. It's, it's just it's so it's an extra level of disrespect i don't know how else to put that well, that, that word doesn't feel right but i mean the desecration of of a body that's right oof, right yeah that's uh, for some reason words multiple times throughout this experience so far seem to fail me because i don't think i'm able to find words that hold enough uh gravity to to the moment but i as as you heard Dr. Warren testifying about how JJ was delivered in in a body bag, right? And then just the stark difference of then to turn around and say, and then Ty Lee was brought in in these multiple different bags because it was like scattered across. Yeah, um, investigators or forensics had to go through and find each piece and try to piece that together, figuring out what's, what's what. Um, it's, yeah. it's, and, and, and then also one of the things I want to point out too, is because it was so different in how, how they were both murdered. Uh, and then we go back to, I think it was probably three episodes ago when we were talking about um, some of the rules of this religion that Lori and Chad had made that, um, that when souls were possessed, that they could either be bound or burned. Right. And and then you see both of that playing out right. with her children. With her yeah, with her children. This is this is something I think that I and and I think this is what keeps um so so many people coming back to this case trying I think ultimately so many of us are just trying to understand the you know, something that that we can't understand the the idea that you could possibly do this to a child let alone your children and completely i i don't know if and that's the sad thing i don't know if anyone is going to be able to figure that out right i don't i don't know that any of us will get really the answers that that we seek um I do pray for the the family and all those involved of course, that they get of some measure of of justice, even if it's not closure um, in this case. And what whatever justice uh, uh, takes, you know, what, however that takes its shape. So, again, a lot of the questions that people are asking themselves, we may not we may not know the answer to. But what we do know now is that from how badly Tylee's remains were burned is that we're not going to know the cause of her death. It's as according to, of course, the investigators, it is now not determined. Right. Um, I think that, I think that really adds just kind of another layer of the un, unanswered, uh, unanswered questions. Although I have to say, I think now knowing how JJ died, I'm not sure it would have really brought any sort of um, 
satisfactory answer it you know it that it's wounding to hear yeah i don't think there's any satisfaction i don't think anyone can derive any satisfaction from any of this but but we but the thing is we care and and we care about these children and we care about um these family members who are trying to find justice right no absolutely i think uh to shift gears here um We've, we've have talked about this kind of a few times. The prosecution has a witness list a mile long. Uh, they backed up a Brinks truck worth of, of evidence. The defense seems to be when they do cross examine a witness, which is not always, it seems like they're largely asking for. Where did you go to school or what was your expertise? Like where, where did you get your professional training? Confer- cr- credential confirmation. Definitely. That's, that's what I've noticed this entire trend with the defense. I'm, I want to ask you about this because I, I just want the, this part has interested me now, aside from the witness saying, oh, I'm not trained in that, which I guess is possible. Maybe that's why they asked. I, I guess that is possible. I, I can't imagine the prosecution would put somebody on the stand like that but you know i guess you never know the the defense a lot of these witnesses are fbi agents idaho state police employees Mm -hmm. many of them have master's degrees or hires uh phds you know doctorates in different fields and then decades some decades of experience within their field as well on top of that i is some some of the people with the least amount of experience we've seen testify so far have 10 years of experience in their field on top of a doctorate or a, you know, a a master's degree in their field. But again, the job of the defense is to, um, you know, you're supposed to be beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, And that's, and the job of the defense is to create that doubt within the mind of the jury. Right. So yeah, these, this kind of confirmation, it's, it makes you wonder, but I also think back to when we started this trial and we were talking about how this large amount of evidence um, had come forth and while Chad um, did not waive his right to a speedy trial, Lori did. So again, this is the defense kind of taking what they can get. Right. I would suppose. That's that's a very fair point. I think Chad's Chad's attorneys have the luxury of time now. Lori's a, attorneys, they don't, right? The, the reason why their cases were severed or separated from each other uh, was because the uh, defense said there's no way we can go through this mountain of evidence. Judge Boyce agreed. He looked at everything and said, yeah, there's there's no reasonable way you're going to be able to get through all this stuff. And so maybe there's just several of these witnesses that they don't they did not have time to prepare for. I guess that might be an option as well. And that is a possibility. Again, right. we don't know for sure. But at the same time, there are, there are a lot of things at play. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I just, I find it, um, pretty interesting the, now with Dr. Warren, yes, there was for, I think, correct me if I'm wrong. I think this was kind of the first time there was a back and forth really between the defense on cross-examination and a witness, right? Yeah, no. Um, so really what happened in the courtroom was that, uh, the defense was doing going back and forth with Dr. Warren about JJ's autopsy and uh, specifically about why they didn't swab JJ's nostrils. Right. I'm not sure what exactly they were hoping to find there. So, um, yeah, no. So for straight from the courtroom, Dr. Warren told the defense that it's not something you would normally ever do after a body was found with a plastic bag wrapped over the head. So, again, he's been in these situations where he knows what, you know, kind of what you need to be doing. Right. Um, and... It's interesting because the defense then said that they didn't know why you wouldn't swab the nostrils. And, and um, uh, yeah, no, uh, the defense saying it's just something that they've seen in movies. Yeah, to which Dr. Warren replied, that's scary. It it seemed like for the moment, because we're watching this in, in real time, you know, we're we're getting live tweets, we're getting live reports out of out of the courtroom. We're in communication with our our reporter, Angela Kerndall. And so we're seeing this 
and it seems like oh the defense is is actually you know fighting back here they've got uh maybe a line of questioning they're they're starting to work on exactly and then they get it's kind of a face palm moment it is um i think dr warren kind of had the last word there and that was uh yeah that was that was um i think kind of telling I think the defense is probably just the defense got there. We've said this a few times now. The defense got their big win before this trial even started. They got the death penalty removed from, you know, fr- from Lori's case. Um, I think at this point it's mitigating damage control and then maybe trying to throw a, you know, throw take a swing whenever the opportunity presents itself. Yeah, it's an interesting strategy, definitely. Yeah. So let's move to Dr. Angie Christensen. Now she's with the FBI um, and kind of a little bit more. Let's talk a little bit more about the difference between how JJ and Tylee's remains were treated because Angie Christensen, again, testified that Tylee's remains had showed evidence that a carnivorous animal had likely chewed on at least one of the one of her bones. Right. Yeah. Several um, sharp trauma marks were discovered. Uh, bones appeared to be bent or hinged at or around the time of death. So, again, we don't know if this is pre-mortem, post-mortem. One thing that we had heard from within te- um, within this case is that bruising, specifically um, on bodies, happens before death, not after death. Um, that was one thing with with JJ that they had mentioned. But um, but yeah, again, they're just kind of looking where where JJ had his entire body. Right. Again, not the case with Tylee. So they're kind of just looking at her bones. Um, they're using what they have. Yeah. Right? Seeing, yeah. Using what they have, which, again, isn't much, sadly. Right. They did discover, um, as as you mentioned, uh, evidence of what they call sharp trauma. Now, um, they the uh dr uh christensen explained the difference so blunt force trauma is if it's a large surface area object that's called blunt force so that might be a hammer or a shovel like the face of a shovel um a sharp force trauma is something that is narrow that would cause like a like something that would stab so like a knife a screwdriver uh the other you know the actual blade edge of a of a shovel that type of thing they discovered several sharp trauma marks on several of the bones uh, uh of Ty Lee's remains and that could be um be pointing to dismemberment that sort of thing but again with with not knowing because of how Tylee's remains were found there are going to be a lot of well some questions that we can't answer right yeah I think some of this um just indicates you know obviously that it happened not necessarily what or why it happened um they did um so they they brought in a friend another uh, FBI agent a forensic examiner with a the FBI Douglas uh, Heliposka, excuse me, um, and he is somebody who's an expert in tools, tool marks specifically. I didn't even know this was a position. I thought that was pretty interesting. We were we were talking about this the other day that what a what a remarkable thing to be. Not only are you a forensic examiner, but you specialize in such a finite thing is like tool markings i thought was well and when you're in that type of a specialized discretion you you know you've seen things you Mm -hmm. you know what you're talking about this isn't his first rodeo no and he's he's uh he said he's testified to this uh hundreds of times um performing um performing autopsy type uh work on tool markings for thousands of cases over his career. And uh, he discovered that what he believes might have had a serrated serrated edge, a blade that could have been something like a thing like a machete uh, type type instrument was used and there's marks of uh, chopping motion 
was used on several of the bones collected from from Tylee's remains. All right. And then they brought in a forensic biologist with Idaho State Police Lab um, who testified, Catherine Dace. Now, she testified that Tylee's DNA was found on not only a shovel, but also a pickaxe that was found on Chad Daybell's property. Now, they were also found, those items, with blood and pieces of burnt flesh on them. Yeah. Um, I think I think there's kind of two telling pieces of this. Obviously, as we've kind of already said, this is not a criminal mastermind at work here. The fact that they would even just keep the shovel and pickaxe laying around to be found. Um, but also that, again, just as, as we've kind of the theme of this episode so far, it's just the, the difference in how how the the two bodies were treated um i i don't know if it was just sheer panic or whether this was the the idea of here's how we're gonna dispose of these remains but i think uh the the farther we continue to kind of go down this wormhole it it just shows such lack of care yeah such completely disrespect yes um that's uh yeah all right well all right let's fast forward to thursday where tara martinez with the idaho state police forensic lab testified now she was tasked with testing fingerprints that could be found on any plastic bags tape along with other items discovered with jj's remains now tara delivered news that i think may have suspected that we all suspected a little bit but um it was still shocking to hear out loud, to be to be honest. I mean, we we had already talked about this earlier, Ryan, off off the podcast. Right. But um having that this confirmed to us, um, again by Martinez. So she was able to lift finger and palm prints off the plastic bag that JJ was wrapped in that matched Alex Cox. Yeah. I mean, what a Yeah. Well, I think, as you mentioned, we've we've talked about this. I think we've suspected. Um, I mean, before Alex died, he had he had told his then wife at the time, who also testified earlier, mm-hmm. uh, that he had thought that he was being set up. Right. Um, yeah. The he th- he was afraid he was going to be used as as the fall guy, which obviously then you know that uh, that shows that you're involved in some way. Yeah, he has his hands in it. He's an accessory. Right. And um, I think that, but just seeing the confirmation, seeing the the fingerprints and the palm prints on the bags is uh, just, it's just brutal. That's your, that's your nephew. It's a really sobering realization. It it really is. I think we all didn't want to believe that but now we have that confirmation yeah yeah absolutely i think um i think that that was a really big bombshell i think um i think this is really interesting because i think it shows that alex for lack of a better term is probably the trigger man so to speak the the one that maybe actually physically committed the murders I think what's interesting is then so the prosecution in order to get the the conviction they they don't need to have Lori actually physically commit the murder but they need to show that she commissioned it she wanted it she was part of the conspiracy to make it happen and so I think they they need to really bring it back because now physical evidence ties Alex Cox to the murder, at least of JJ. There's plenty of physical evidence there. Plenty. Now the, the second half of this trial will have to work on setting up Lori's involvement in how she maybe orchestrated this, wanted it to happen, ordered it to be happened, whatever the case might be, right? We'll, we'll have to wait and see. 
but to me, if I was to put this trial so far into two halves, the first half so far has really set up, okay, the kids were murdered. They were found on Chad Daybell's property. Chad and Lori were lying about where they were and who they were with and the kids' whereabouts. They were lying about it to everybody. But so far, the physical evidence just shows Alex Cox was there for, you know, was is was at least present, was there, and buried JJ. The second half of this, I think, is going to be the really uh, make it or break it, I guess, as far as how, how do you bring this home now to say, okay, Alex Cox might have physically murdered JJ and presumably Ty Lee, but we know, okay, his fingerprints and palm prints are on the bag, right? What now the second half of this, how do you tie that together to say Lori told him to do this? Exactly. The premeditation, the narrative. Right. And I think we've started seeing some of that, you know, just with the calls, the text messages, the. Definitely. I think that they've already began in, a, in my personal opinion is that they, the prosecution has already begun setting that up pretty well. I, I, I agree. I think um, just bringing it back to the defense, I think if the defense has any sort of shot, which I think it's probably a long one, we can we can be honest. If they have any sort of shot, it's to now try and hang this on Alex Cox to say, hey, there's all the, there's physical evidence that ties him to this. Lori went along with the whims of Chad and Alex Cox did the murder and she's just a, you know, a poor bystander type thing. I think that might also be why they've spent so much time going over what happened in Arizona with Charles Vallow, right? Is to set, here's a pattern. Definitely, it is a pattern. It's a progressive pattern over time. Right, yeah, absolutely. So I think we'll uh, we'll see how the the second half of, of this trial um, kind of plays out. The It's gonna be interesting no matter what. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, there's, there's no way it can't be at this point. All right, so let's go to the last person to testify. Um, this is Thursday afternoon. Was Samantha Guellium, I believe? Guellium, I believe. Yeah, that... Tammy Daybell's sister. Right. Uh, Samantha testified that in the beginning of Chad and Tammy's relationship, she really liked Chad. Um, she thought he was good to Tammy. He treated her well. But everything started to change in 2018-2019. Chad used to be close with Samantha's husband. So that would be his brother-in-law. He was... Uh, they, they were close. Up until 2018-2019, they went for a visit. Chad wouldn't even converse with him. He would not talk with him anymore. Things really started taking more of a turn from there, I think. No, definitely. So Samantha testifying that um, that Chad and Tammy had showed up unannounced to deliver her a birthday present that year. Um, but Tammy stayed on the porch and Chad, instead of what he would normally do um, in that time, go up and talk to them. Instead, he stayed in the car alone. Right. This was a very strange thing because you're seeing a real behavior shift yes. over time. Somebody who's known him for a very long time. Remember, Chad and Tammy had been married for, what was it, 28 years? I don't remember. Yeah, 28 years. I was going to say right sh off. shy I, of 30 years, yeah. Uh, just shy of 30 years. So he has known Samantha for at least that long. Thir you, know, you get to know one. Yeah, exactly. Yes. You... They've known each other for a very long time. She has a long track record to go off of. This is someone you used to be close with. Your families used to be close. Their kids, which would, you know, their cousins mm -hmm. would play all the time. They used to live very close together until Chad decided, no, we need to move. They used to live in Springville, Utah. Yes. And that is where Tammy is buried right. as well right now. Yeah. Not in Rexburg, Idaho. Right. And so then... Uh, Chad said, no, we need to move up to 
uh, to Rexburg, moves the family up to Rexburg, uh, or at least that area. Um, <clears throat> then his behavior just over time, I think Samantha is an interesting witness because she's able to shed light on Chad's changing personality over time. Exactly. And we've now seen that played out with Lori, but we haven't seen that with Chad. So Samantha really gives us that inside look that no one's ever seen before. Right. I think um I think there's also an interesting this is 100% my opinion. So take that with, you know, with a grain of salt. I think when you see Chad is no longer conversing with his brother-in-law, He's reluctant to go visit when they go drop off her her birthday present. It's like a all stay in the car. You've got 20 minutes. Go talk to your sister. This is a weird level of this is somebody who and obviously we know now, you know, hindsight being 2020. We know now that he was having an affair. He was having a relationship with Lori. They had been planning kind of all along certain things we can tell that they bought wedding rings that Lori bought wedding rings before Tammy Daybell was dead. Yeah. And she bought her wedding dress on the day of Tammy's funeral. Right. This was, this was not, this was, this was something that they were kind of planning out. They were expecting it. This is somebody who, in my opinion, again, who has something on his conscience and is now isolating himself out of out of shame and then trying to kind of lash out or take control of the situation to either try and control what he can from it or um, maybe push it off on Tammy to treat it, treat her like this is this is your fault. I'm mad at you type situation. No I, matter what, there was manipulation happening. 100 percent. This is this is just it's manipulation it's control it's it's just sickening but it's really it's very interesting to see these moments um that from from her perspective right yeah so let's let's kind of fast forward because there is quite a bit to her testimony and we will get to that but but one of the biggest at least the biggest bombshells for me listening to her testimony is um that after Tammy died, Chad had called Samantha, Tammy's sister, and said that Tammy had been sick over the past two weeks during this time. Now, he said that Tammy was up coughing the night before and then returned to bed around midnight that night. Then he says that when he woke early, he said that Tammy, quote, rolled out of bed dead. So again, they're sleeping in the same bed, going to bed at night, she coughing a little bit, and then he says she rolled out of bed dead. I don't I don't know how once you are dead, you then roll out of bed. I. Yeah, this is it's it's just strange. Everything smells of fish here. Yeah, absolutely. So now Friday morning, this is Friday morning as uh, Sarah and I are recording this. The, Samantha is back on the stand right now as we're as we're recording. So we are doing our best to get our live updates kind of as we're recording. One of the things uh, that Angela Kerndall, our again, our CBS two reporter that's in uh, court right now covering this, she says one of the last things that um that the last phone call she had with Chad was in December. It's when she asked him to stop lying. She was really confused and trying to understand what had happened. Why, what had happened to my sister? Why is my sister dead? This doesn't sound right. And now Chad is married. He's married to a, a woman you've never heard of. So she is Googling who is Lori Vallow, it comes up with stories about Charles Vallow, Charles Vallow's ob obituary, where Kay Woodcock is saying, we will take good care of JJ. And the interesting part about all of this is that 
Samantha was told by Chad that Charles Vallow had died of a heart attack. So, again, right. she gets she gets on her computer, starts to look up Lori, and immediately she finds out that Charles Vallow, no, he did not die of a heart attack. He died from gunshot wounds from Lori's brother, Alex Cox. Right. And um, it sounds like, again, we're getting this in, in real time right now, it uh, it looks like Samantha is testifying that uh, because Chad had also told her that Lori didn't have any children. That's a big one. That's that's really big. So he told her she doesn't have any children. Well, of course, shortly after or while all of this is going on, of course, she finds she does have two children. They're just missing. This is right around the same time that Nate Eaton from East Idaho News had caught up with them in Hawaii. That clip was going viral. It's starting to get picked up across nationwide news. And then so that's when the last phone call happens between Sam um, and Chad when she says, stop, stop lying. What is going on here? Well, and she also says, please tell me about this woman you replaced my sister with. Right. That's. Uh, that's that's gut wrenching. I I really feel for her. Um, I really feel for just everyone that's that's been involved in this this case. We're going to continue covering this. If you'd like to uh, get live updates from today, you can follow us on IdahoNews.com. We have a live blog that's being updated regularly. Uh, you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're at CBS Two Boise. And thank you guys so much for joining us. Please like and subscribe. Uh, Leave us a review wherever you're listening because it really helps us out. Again, I'm Sarah Jacobson. I'm Ryan Oswald. This is Gem State, the trials of Chad and Lori Daybell.